everyone. Welcome to Season 5, Episode 8 of our Just Admitted podcast, where former deans and directors of admission give expert insight into the higher education landscape. I'm Eric, college admission officer at Ivy Wise and former admission officer at Columbia University. I was an assistant director of admission at the New School in Lower Manhattan as well. And joining me today is my friend and fellow Ivy Wise counselor, Rachel, former assistant dean of admission at Swarthmore College. And in this episode, we're gonna share some insights on how students can prepare for college admissions interviews and auditions, tis the season. So hi, Rachel. Hi, Eric. It's good to hear you. Yes, and you, and I'm excited to chat today about interviews and auditions. Same, I've been warming up my voice in preparation for the episode. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Why don't we start with interviews, since I think that's a topic that's pretty top of mind for my students, um, and I'm sure yours as well. Could you describe, um, I guess, a little bit in your own words of like the funk, what's the purpose of the interview? Yeah, that's such a good question. I mean, I think sometimes people are surprised to learn that an interview can be evaluative. So I think a lot of schools, when they're sitting down to chat with students, are really looking to learn more about certain things about that student and that potential applicant, because we know that you don't necessarily have had to apply to do an interview. Um, So that can really inform kind of certain parts of your application later on. I will say an interview will never or rarely like make or break your application. Um, But I know when we were looking, uh, when we were interviewing at Swarthmore, there were really specific things that we were kind of looking for. Um, is this student a good fit for this community based on this conversation? And, and do they display things like intellectual curiosity, you know, um, academic strength, um, extracurricular activities, some um, interest in um, service and community involvement? And then we would rate the students kind of based on that and give them an overall score. And then that would go into the file and be part of a student's application. And so when we were reading the write-up from the interview would be the very last thing that you would see. So it was so rare that there was ever a surprise in the interview write-up. It often just kind of felt like, you know, a cherry on top. It was the bow. It kind of brought everything together. It made sense for the student that I got to know through the application. Um, And so, yeah, it definitely serves, I think, for the school, an opportunity to get to know the applicant a little more and to add another piece to their file. And then I wonder too, because there's certainly things that the student would get out of the interview. Maybe you want to talk about that part. Absolutely. Um, I appreciate all of that insight. And it's pretty similar to what I experienced um, at Columbia and then also um, having coached a lot of students through these interview processes. Mm-hmm. This is a fun parallel i'm just realizing because these are two things that are allowing the student to showcase their talents in a different light right and so i always say with students who you get is going to largely determine how the interview goes so as you'll learn it really varies by school some uh, schools will employ current students to run the interviews others admissions officers and still others will have regional alumni interviews and those 
are typically some of the more difficult to prepare for because like i said if you're applying to columbia and you get you know a 58 year old uh physician you know in your hometown versus a 25 year old you know marketing uh coordinator it's going to have a really different flavor right and so i think the the idea is really just to prepare to the extent that you can but also allow it to be informal and casual in tone they tend to be a lot more casual than students might expect and probably even enjoyable. What I think the student can get out of it, particularly with the regional alumni interviews, is what does an alumnus look like in your community, right? What does a person who went to that particular university look like in your world? And so I often like the students to ask them, you know, like, how did, you know, Yale get you to where you are today? Uh, mm -hmm. Tell me the best parts of the experience that you had as a student. So there is like a little bit of, um information sharing in that and then i just wanted to add that because interviews are optional um and colleges can't you know interview every student that applies they are not decisive in the admissions process but as rachel said uh they can add a different dimension and, and like i said corroborate what's usually in other parts of the application right so true and it's interesting with virtual interviews which were not widely used um when i was doing interviews we did them all in person um so that does make it a little bit more accessible um i mean i think if you're interested in a school you're truly interested and they offer interviews you should interview in my that's Absolutely. my general recommendation although i will say too the interview's not for everyone also you know true. <laughs> yeah so if you are if it would be a huge point of stress for you, um, if you don't feel as though you could ultimately relax in that type of interaction or present yourself in a way that you would feel good about, I, I think there are people for whom, you know, the interview just isn't a good move. And I think that's okay too. Absolutely. I'm going to put you onto the spot for a, a minute. Can we do a little rapid fire do's and don'ts? Let's do it. <laughs> <laughs> what would be one of your um, do's for the, the admissions interview? Well, I would say definitely um, come with questions. Um, I think it's hard, you know, because every interview, and this is true, I think, of life, but interviews so often end with, well, do you have any questions for me? And there may be a time when you can say, oh, we actually, I did have a question about this and we, we talked about it in the, in, in the interview, so I don't have any questions, but I think you wanna take advantage of that opportunity. So come with a question, at least one. I recommend um, asking, what's your favorite thing about this school? And that gives someone, you know, it's like a nice moment, something positive to share, leave everybody with a good feeling. And that's like an easy kind of general question you could ask in any interview. And what's your don't? And then I'll do mine. Okay. <laughs> um, let's see. Don't, I would say, oh, it's hard. Don't, it's such a fine line between being too personal. And I think that this is maybe something that students encounter in this process. So here we're asking them for this personal statement and to be honest in your writing, but don't, don't be too honest. So I think you want to treat the interview as um, it's, it's professional. You know, it, it can feel relaxed. Maybe talking to a current student 
Um, you want to keep the topics on things like, you know, your activities, um, the classes you've enjoyed, experiences that you've had, um, and just focus on those things. That's perfect. Yeah, it was funny. As you're talking, I'm thinking like my do is prepare and then my don't is over prepare. <laughs> So, um, you know, you're going to get common questions. There's a million different sites out there that give you common interview questions. Um, typically, you know, the interviewer is just trying to get to know you. They're not trying to stump you. Right. So, you know, you're not going to get the like how many ping pong balls fit in a Boeing 777 kind of thing like you would at Google 1996 interviews. Um, so I think the preparation part can be you know, you're naturally going to get, tell me about yourself. So I think it's also important to know that the interviewer might not have much information on you, if any. So you can expect to talk about your school, you know, favorite subjects, what your community is like. Um, and I think those are things that students don't often think about um, just like from a really fundamental standpoint, they may not have ac ac access to your academic profile. So those are things that you'll want to be able to convey to the reader um, or to the officer. And then also, um, I do think of some common things that I try to prep students for, like less common prompts that might not be top of mind for them. So think about a like a project or paper in school that you did recently that was of interest to you, a time that you collaborated with a group of students, um, the last book you read for pleasure. You know, those are things that might not be, you know, in in the top of your consciousness, but that you might want to think about some of those academic things that you've done in the recent past that you might be able to talk about. That makes perfect I sense. I would say too, that classic question when um, like talk about your weaknesses or an area for improvement, I don't think you're always going to get that question, but it's such a tough one that I always recommend having an answer for that just in case. Yeah, that's a really good one. I hadn't thought about that in a while. And you don't even have to do the classic turning your negative into a positive. Right, <laughs> you know? right. I think it's okay that you admit that you have room for improvement. Right. Um, I'm human. <laughs> totally. Yeah. The only other thing I was going to say, and this happens really infrequently, but we did encounter it from time to time, is um, if a in an interviewer talks about where else you're applying mm. that can really throw students off again usually they shouldn't or don't ask but i will say with some frequency i've had that and so i would have like a prepared answer that perhaps doesn't mention other schools by name but says you know oh i'm looking at a mix of liberal arts colleges on the east coast and some larger state schools um you know in the midwest or the west uh, i just know that that's really thrown students off in the past yeah, absolutely. And you're right. I think it's typically not something that you're supposed to do, perhaps, but but people do anyway. And I can see how that would be very unnerving for a student. So, yes, to have a prepared the general response for something like that, that would, you know, answer the question, essentially. Yeah, it can also be employed with parents and friends and teachers and counselors. Right. And everyone that, yeah. you. <laughs> all the time. I, yeah, I have my students prepare a canned answer um, that doesn't include the name of a college so that no one can comment and give their two cents more That's than they great. already do. That's great. Yeah. <laughs> um, did you ever conduct interviews while you were in admission? Yes, absolutely. I did. 
interviews in the office. And then I also did interviews on the road when I was traveling. So I would meet, you know, I would set up ahead of time, um, you know, five interviews in a row at the lobby of the hotel where I was staying or in a coffee shop. And um, so, yes, I would say, gosh, I mean, I, hundreds, hundreds wow. of so many interviews. Yeah. <laughs> And like with essays, I mean, are there things that stood out to you at any point? And I mean, you were at a school that my guess is was very self-selecting in terms of the kind of student that it attracted. So you were kind of like a, oh, I can't predict it, but I know it when I see it. Right. Yep. Yeah, it was interesting because to that point, you know, you you could tell because sometimes there are students who are doing the college tour process. And they sign up, you know, for the tour and the interview, maybe without really intending or they haven't decided if they're going to apply yet. And so you can kind of tell. And that might be like earlier in the summer, the interviews would be like that. And then later, as you get, you know, to the to the fall and people are more have done more research, you know, you get more students who are looking at EB or regular. Um I mean, I think the things that stood out to me would be, you know, when students are able to talk with some specificity about what they like about a class that they enjoyed, what they like about an activity that they do. You know, if you're already working on your applications, like these are things you probably are, you know, investigating and exploring. So being able to share that in the interview just generates like a little more conversation and insight you know versus the uh, a flatter I just like it you know that's we're not going to get very far in a conversation so those that was always exciting and I always enjoyed you know getting some good like book recommendations out of conversations and movies and you know learning more about different parts of the country and norms you know in different schools we met a lot of students and so I I genuinely enjoyed the conversations and did try to have them be as, you know, kind of low key and comfortable as possible. What about you? You know, I did, um, I very infrequently formally interviewed students. That was not a, that wasn't part of my job when I was at Columbia. And most of the IVs, if not all, will outsource their interviews to the regional alumni mm-hmm. representatives. It's a great way to keep them engaged and hopefully mm-hmm. keep them donating to the school. Um, and again, it is a good opportunity, like I said, for um, them to be able to interview a larger proportion of students than they might be able to just by utilizing current students or admission officers. The closest proximity that I had to the process was um, at my former high school in Los Angeles. We hosted interview days Mm. for a handful of colleges. So we would be on site uh, setting up the rooms and managing, you know, the flow of students. And it was really fun to see the range of students that came in and then to debrief with the regional alumni interviewers to hear what their experiences were like. And that gave me kind of an global overview of maybe like what stood out, what were some positives, what were some negatives. And it was really sweet to see, you know, the student who had driven three hours to come to Brentwood and they were in their suit and tie and they were so earnest and sweet. Um, And yeah, just, and then to hear from the alumni folks, you know, what really stood out to them. Um, 
but no, we actually had current students who would interview and they were meant to be informational and not evaluative. Although, like you said, there would be a write-up that would go into the student's file. So I guess there is, you know, some form of an evaluation, even if it's informal, mm -hmm. that goes in. Um, yeah, I don't know. I just, I also think that it's a good primer, right, for entering into the quote unquote real world. It's a, yeah. it's a good opportunity, although it can be nerve wracking to have to prepare, to have to present yourself in another way that isn't on paper. And I think in the world of Zoom, distance learning, um, and just like being in high school, <laughs> you have the opportunity to interact with adults. And so I think the expectation is just, you'll probably be a lot more um, comfortable than you might think. Yeah. Um, but it can certainly be another source of stress as there are so many. <laughs> yeah. And you know, to that note, I would say in an interview, it's, it's okay to be nervous. It is like expected. I think everything that happens in an interview is almost taken with a grain of salt. Like as the interviewer, I don't know how, what, what's going on with you today you know, how you are. Um, and I know this process is stressful. So I think that's always in the back of an interviewer's mind. And I would say as well, if you are feeling nervous and you're having a hard time focusing on the questions, like it's totally okay to say something like, that's a great question. Let me, I'd love to take a second to think about it before I respond you know, just take a breath. Like, I, th I think that's a very mature way to kind of get through those initial nerves and hopefully things will settle like as you move through the conversation. Absolutely. I was just thinking that in fact. And so thank you for bringing that up. I will also say, um, don't let things like the length of the interview, mm. uh, throw you off in terms of how you think you did. So some are, interviews are meant to be and designed to be very brief. Others, because you may get caught up, you know, having mutual interests could last significantly longer than you expected. Uh, neither one means that you did any better or any worse. Okay. Right? Like I said, like I said, who you get really can dictate how it goes. And that's not really within your control. <laughs> so true. Well, any other, <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I was trying to think if I had any funny interview stories too, that might be illuminating, <laughs> not from the college process, but from, oh, I did want to talk about procedural things first, and then maybe we can get into that. Uh, yes. So how yes. do you, you know, some schools I know uh, will not even offer interviews. Some schools mm -hmm. do require that you register for them in advance, and some will actually assign them after the point of application. So you can't request them nor would they guarantee them. But like I said, with some of the more highly selective colleges, will, uh, you'll apply. And then if they have a regional officer who's free in your area, then you would be invited to interview. Um, I think when you're offered an invitation to interview, my instinct would be to say yes, um, even if you are nervous and just practice um, maybe with an adult who knows you well, but maybe doesn't know you that intimately. Um, I think, I don't know how you feel about mock interviews, but they can feel really sort of awkward. Yeah, <laughs> but there, I think mock interviews are a, a true tool. I mean, it is goofy. Yes, yeah. you're role-playing, 
But if you can kind of put that aside, and I think you could even, even answering questions out loud. So even if you read a question and look in the mirror or sit somewhere and talk out loud as though you were answering it, even that is, I think, enough of a rehearsal. But I think mock interviews for sure. And I think maybe with someone that's not your parent or like your best friend, but somebody who um, could play the role of the interviewer. Absolutely. Go for it. I love that. Yeah, no, thank you for saying that. I agree. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, why would you wouldn't submit an essay with, you know, without doing drafts? Right. So, <laughs> give yourself the time, you know, to polish a bit. Uh, my biggest thing is really just, like I said, it's usually a lot more relaxed and low key than students expect. Yeah. Um, rarely have I had a student come back to me and say like, oh my God, you know, that was really intense <laughs> and I felt yeah. prepared. Yeah. Uh, but you know, the expectation is that you'll like with the why our school essay, you know, I think it's important to know that you will be asked, you know, why are you interested in this college? You know, you will be asked certain things about your academic and outside interests. So there's also fundamental things that you should be prepared for no matter what. Absolutely. I mean, I think, you know, one parallel between the interview process and the audition process for me is the importance of organization. So the, all the logistical things you just mentioned about who invites you to interview, when can you request interviews, what's available, it's, that's a lot of extra information to keep track of. And if you're thinking about even interviewing just at your top couple of schools, you want to make sure that you have all that information straight. So I feel like staying organized with all of those deadlines and similarly with the auditions, like everything that's required for your, you know, portfolio, your repertoire, that, there's a lot going on with these kind of supplemental pieces. So definitely doing yourself a favor. I always recommend a spreadsheet you know, yes. organized <laughs> <laughs> the old sexy spreadsheet, <laughs> but it works like a charm. Yeah, it and does. <laughs> it's always a blessing and a curse when my students are talented. It's like, <laughs> if you're an athlete, you know, and my first question is always, are you good? <laughs> um, because yeah, it, 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 it does create this added layer. It creates an added layer of the kinds of schools that you're going to be looking yeah. at, which may differ from the majority of your peers. And um, it does require this extra preparation that many of your peers won't be doing. So again, I think, love it. So glad that you have this talent, but it does require uh, another sort of frame of thinking and another more rigid sort yes. of process that you'll have to follow. Um, I guess this is our transition into audition. I think so. <laughs> and the other thing that I think parallels interviews and auditions is that I think the the people that you are presenting to are looking for significant potential for growth. You know, they're looking for potential. They're not looking for perfection. So whether that's in the interview or in the audition, you know, I think that's important to keep in mind that they really want to get a sense of who you are like right now. Um, and to think more about that in the um, audition world, you know, that means like, I would say like picking a repertoire that kind of represents who you are right now and not necessarily what you think 
someone wants to hear or someone wants to see. And that's, you know, just good college admissions advice generally, um, but also rings true um, for auditions. Yes, absolutely. And um, looking as I read, um, you know, in preparation for this, you know, Steinhardt at NYU says, you know, this is the most difficult, you know, auditioning is the most difficult aspect of pursuing a career as a professional singer or actor. So think of it as a way to not try to impress the auditors, they say, but your task is to share your talents mm. and they want you to do well. I mean, no one, you know, on faculty, uh, you've watched, you know, the X Factor or whatever those shows are. <laughs> like they're, they're not trying to come for you and give you the X, right? They want you to do well. Um, they may cringe from time to time, but even the students who are more modest in their talent level, you know, they still want you to feel empowered through the process. I don't think that anyone wants this to be a demoralizing process for the student. Right. Absolutely. And there's a lot you can do. I think, gosh, I mean, the audition process just seems, I think it seems so daunting. Yes. There's so much that you have to prepare alongside of all of the traditional application stuff. So all the essays, you know, the common app, all those things are still required for you. Um, and often, you know, you have to get your applications in sooner so that you can move forward with pre-screens and auditions. So again, with that organization piece and then doing some preparation, I mean, Similar to the mock interview, I mean, practicing your actual audition, your repertoire, oh, like, there's so many variables, you know, the day that you show up, you don't know what, what conditions are going to be like. So I think, you know, doing your audition in a small room with people sitting close to you, you know, do it in a large room, do it in a cold room, you know, put your pieces on flashcards and like mix them up so that you can jump from one thing to another. If you're not able to do it in the order that you, you know, anticipate. Um, so I think there are some real steps you can take once it's really time to be kind of hardcore preparing um, to Give yourself the luxury of being as comfortable as possible come um, the actual audit. Absolutely. And you mentioned pre-screens, which is great, just again, from a procedural standpoint. A lot of colleges are going to have multiple rounds for auditions. I think the most common being the pre-screen and then the on-site, or in this case, sometimes virtual audition, where you would be in front of the faculty at your particular discipline. And so I think it's important. Again, I do love the spreadsheet because if you think of the audition in a similar way where we think about the supplemental essays that have very different prompts, very different word counts. Similarly, uh, different colleges are going to be employing different restrictions, different things that they're encouraging um, and may even ask for different types you know, deliberately uh, to try to showcase your range. And then naturally, I mean, we might be able to have time to go through a few of these, but if you're a classical cellist versus a student who's looking at musical theater, the requirements are going to naturally be very different for those two things. And so the burden does fall to you, of course, to know what style, what length, um, and what time for preparation. But I think one thing that I saw sort of across colleges is that they're not looking for flashy 
you know, I think that they're really looking for quality. They want to see your talent independent of, you know, lighting, editing, if you're throwing in a pre-screen, right? Uh, the idea is not to impress them with like flashy optics, but to really showcase your pure talent. That's what they're really trying to get at. Yeah, that makes sense. And it also makes sense that people might feel tempted to go that route, you know, to to have something that's feels very professional, perhaps even overproduced. Um, but really, yes, they're they're wanting that authentic piece. And if the pre-screen is what's going to get you in, you know, to the next round of auditions, you you do want to be authentic in that process. And so yeah, I think as long as you have, you know, a good microphone, I would think would be the the most important thing, something that can pick up, you know, whatever it is you're putting down. Um, I think that would be, that would help you to be present authentically in the pre-screen process. Absolutely. And the funny thing is, this is yet another way to get a flavor and a sense for the fit of the school and the program, mm -hmm. you know, in looking through Juilliard's requirements, they are very rigid and very tight and very closely monitored. And I think that you could expect that that would probably be infused into the kind of experience that you would have at the Juilliard school, right? Yeah. So you check in, you do a group warm up, which I could only imagine is probably intimidating since you're sizing up your competition in real time. <laughs> and then you audition alone. They make it very clear um, in front of all the drama division faculty, you'll present two monologues, a heightened text and a contemporary. I don't even know what that means. I am talentless in this arena. <laughs> <laughs> and then the callbacks are in two rounds that happen on the exact same day when you do that pre-screen. So I'm sure like sitting in that holding pen Oof. would be really uh, agonizing. Yeah. <laughs> My only parallel is the game shows that I've been on. And I can tell you from experience, it's very stressful waiting to know if you're going to be picked or not. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, versus, you know, I worked at the new school. They have a program for jazz and contemporary music. And they give you so much more leeway. They're looking for things like individual expression, technique, musical maturity, and originality, which I think a lot of schools aren't really looking for originality, frankly. They're having you um, try to mimic certain classical styles. And I've also seen something really interesting that um, is a newer phenomenon, but electronic music is becoming an increasingly common recognized art form. And so, um, I was encountering on my research, like all this different kind of vocabulary and technique that I didn't even know about. So that's kind of fun because I have a lot of students who are interested in electronic music sort of recreationally, but now knowing that they can study that in a professional setting is really kind of an interesting addition to the industry. Mm, that is cool. Right. Like I didn't know that I had to learn about grid control, mix control. I don't know what any of these acronyms are. But <laughs> you've, you've got to be good at clip launching, live synth playing, finger drumming, loop variation. So just everyone out there listening who knows what that is, right, get on is it for you. Yeah. <laughs> and refine it. A lot of schools will have sight reading as well for musicians, mm. uh, which I think could be an expectation and ear training, but no one expects perfection, right? I think they also want to see what kind of dimension you could bring to their program. Absolutely. And I think this is an instance too where you can, I mean, I would venture to say 
most people who are considering exploring their art at this level likely are working with a private instructor, like along with someone at school. Um, and that these folks or people in your community, there are people who have insight and have helped students through the audition process before. So I would say seeking out um, that support um, could go a long way because that, that's a, it's a lot to navigate and it can be helpful, you know, if you're um, instructor has helped students with this before. If there's someone at your school who's gone through this before, um, just getting some more information. And of course, there's lots of information online. I mean, you can watch presentations, you can hear from student experiences, um, just kind of getting a sense of what the experience is like, knowing that, of course, you know, you want to be yourself and represent yourself in the process. But um, just having support in navigating all of this I think can be so helpful. Absolutely. Yeah. In the same way that you would have, again, folks looking over your essays, right? I mean, you're going to have coaching here. Um, there's a lot on YouTube as well for students who have been through the audition process, you know, whether that's at Berkeley College of Music or, you know, other conservatory programs. And I also think that there, it's important to know that there are actually also dual degree programs out there. Mm -hmm. So for students who have a dual interest in uh, classical performance, uh, or again, when I was at the New School Jazz and Contemporary Music, but who also want to study something totally unrelated, there are a handful of those uh, five-year BA, BFA programs that are worth looking at. I think a lot of times for parents, they're like, okay, honey, you know, <laughs> yes, you should pursue the harpsichord, but also <laughs> if that doesn't work out, um, it might be wise to also be able to study history or political science or psychology. And those programs do exist. Right. Right. And that's what you'll find in your research too, as you're looking at, you know, well, do, uh, you know, if I met Tish, like, do I have access to other departments and programs at NYU? Um, and, you know, those can be kind of trademarks of programs. And is that a fit for you? And, you know, yes or no. But again, doing your research and um, putting it all in a spreadsheet or yeah. like, more likely like in an essay um, that will definitely come up. Um, but, yeah, there's I. I think you have to really have just such a drive and a passion and a desire to take this like to the next level because you really do have to qu jump through quite a few hoops. Um, and it is, it can be so selective, you know, depending on the schools that you're looking at. Absolutely. You know, and I'm thinking about how even more than in the essays, you know, that, um, you know, it, it would be really difficult to make these selections when you're given kind of loose guidelines. So play to your strengths, right? And it's yet another way, and we kind of touched on it before, to show your authentic voice or harp skill um, versus trying to predict what it is that you think the college wants to see. Yeah. If they're being very narrow and prescriptive, if they're saying, hey, you need to do Bach or hey, you need to do Shakespeare, then obviously you have less... Uh, leeway there. But if they're saying showcase your originality, you know, throw that out there unapologetically and hope that this is something that they're looking for that will contribute to their program. And then I've, I'm seeing a lot out there about range also. So I do think it's important to be realistic about 
your talent and the amount of range that you can showcase in terms of style. Those students have done uh, well in the audition process if they have a large reservoir of material to pull from that does span, you know, different time periods or different styles. Uh, so I think, you know, that's another thing that I've seen help students uh, be successful or more competitive in the audition process. And then I also, in, I challenge my students to think about both their position within the studio world, like what faculty they want to work with. You know, mm -hmm. it's another, I mean, that you're working so closely with your faculty that I think it it is helpful to go learn about them, learn about, you know, do you want to be in a conservatory program that's more insular or do you want to be somewhere, you know, that's in a major city? You know, when I was at the new school, the majority of the teaching faculty were also working artists. And I think that that was a great advantage for our students to be able to see folks who were in the industry and also, you know, teaching. So probably out of necessity to supplement their income, honestly. <laughs> Any other sort of final thoughts, words of wisdom? Um, I think this has been great, but, um, you know, it's fun to speak out uh, to students who have a real talent and want to showcase that and show that to the world. I played drums for like two years and I was okay. <laughs> <laughs> I was in show choir in high school. Um, so I got really good at jazz hands. That's, you know, that is on brand I mean. and comes yeah. in handy with college counseling. Yeah. You'd be surprised. <laughs> we can drum roll and we can jazz hands. Right. Here we are. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I think this has been, I, I've enjoyed kind of exploring some of the parallels between these like additional ways that students are presenting themselves to colleges and sharing things that make them unique in, you know, a variety of settings. So yeah, it's, it's been an interesting conversation, I hope. Absolutely. You all are the athletes of art. So yeah. keep on keeping on. <laughs> All right. Well, that wraps up this episode. Thank you so much for tuning in to Just Admit It. Catch up on all our previous episodes by visiting our podcast page and be sure to bookmark our knowledge base for additional help with navigating the complex and competitive admissions landscape. In our next episode, we're going to share some insight on some of the most common mistakes we see in college admissions. So if you have any questions about the do's and don'ts of the application process, Email them to us at podcast at ivywise.com so that we can try to address your most pressing questions. Don't forget to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok for more higher ed resources. Thanks, everyone. Thanks, Eric. Thank you.